talk about. So the last few weeks we've covered the, some of the main topics and themes of Advent, which was uh, the, the spirit of peace. We talked about the spirit of love, and we've talked about the spirit of joy. And this morning we're going to talk about the spirit of hope. And so I want to start out with a quick question, something just for you to think about. Where in your history does Christmas and hope collide? I want you just to think about that for a second. Like when you think about this idea of of Christmas hope, where in your history does Christmas and hope collide? And I was thinking about myself, and and there were a few years in my late teens when when I lived with my youth pastor and his family. Now remember that we would always read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And, and it was at the moment, like right before the gifts, and so it was the perfect timing to get us just really anticipating what's going on. And so this is a tradition that, that I've carried on um, in our house. It's something that I want to make sure that I do with, with my kids and with my family. And, and, for, and for some reason, I don't know, maybe this is just me, I feel the need when I read Luke chapter 2, when I read the Christmas story, I feel the need to read it in this like deep, resonant voice. I don't know why. I have no idea, but that's just me. And so, so we read the story, and, and, and this is what we did. We read the story, and then we got on our knees, and we prayed. And it's one of those moments where uh, we don't just have a prayer, but it's a prayer of anticipation, a prayer of hope for the new year. And, and I remember back on, on, on those times, and this is just really in my history where Christmas And hope collided. I remember back on those times, and and I remember the feeling in my heart in that time of being like, okay, God has something new for me every single year. He has new opportunities, and he has new ideas and new vision for us. And, And it was this culmination of hope in our family. And so I thought it would be a great way to start out this morning by reading the Christmas story. And I'll try not to do it in a deep, resonant voice. I'll just read it normal. And if, you, uh, and, and if you come to the Christmas Eve gathering that we're going to have in, in a few days' time, then you'll probably hear this uh, story read in, in some form or fashion again because it's so good and it's that time of the year. So we're going to read together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Uh, and we're going to read out of Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. All right, we'll stop there. Hope is a powerful word, amen? Word, word, amen? Very powerful word. It can change the course of a relationship. It can change the way we treat each other. It can alter our perception of time and existence. Christopher Reeve, a.k.a. the best Superman, said once, he, here's what he said, once you choose hope, anything is possible. Right? So, so and, and I believe this, one of the strongest themes that we find in the Christmas season is this simple idea of hope. And so you see this wonderful thing happens in the Christmas story, this thing that I, I just love this so much. God our Father, in all of his awe and majesty, here's what he does. He sees us in our weakness, and he decides to crouch down. He decides to come down to our level 
And he gets down and he sends his son into the world to, to, to look us in the eye, to affirm us. And then he does something, he does something right there. He does something in those moments. And, and what he does is he gives us this beautiful, glorious, amazing thing called hope. He just pours that over us. And it's not this like delusional hope. It's not this hope that's focused on, on like self-centered desires. This is a hope that can only be fulfilled in an all-consuming God. It's a hope that gives us strength in the middle of our mess. And when we, re we receive this hope into our lives, honestly, like something happens. That hope is only in the person of Jesus Christ. Something happens in us and we change. It's a change that comes within us. It's not a change of our circumstances, mind you, but it is a change in the way we perceive our circumstances. That's what God does for us. So I want to jump ahead in the story. That's the part of the story that we always read. And maybe some of you have gone further and you read, you read further in the Christmas story, but I do want to jump ahead and I want to read a little bit later in the story as we talk about this idea of hope. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So let me just stop. I want you to see this. The, the conception of the child brought the conception of hope into all of our lives. All right, the conception of the child brought the conception of hope into our, and here lies the idea that, that, that really I want to talk about this morning, and that's this. I believe, I believe this for, for every one of us. I believe that God desires to revive hope within us. I believe that this morning, I believe that next week, I believe that as we move into the new year in 2020, God wants to revive hope within us. Some of us, we don't even know hope. Like this idea of hope, you're like, I might know a person named Hope, but I have no idea what you're talking about of this real and true and honest, deep hope. Others in here, hope died in our lives long ago. We just let it go. We gave up. But I pray today that there would be a conception of hope within us. Amen? So let's keep going. Verse 22. And when the time came uh, for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. <clears throat> One of the, the, the really satisfying <laughs> The satisfying things of having a new child come into your home is that there is a whole set of rituals that go on when the baby arrives. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Those who don't, you're like, I'm going to fill you in. I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit and let you see what we're talking about. And so, so it starts well before the baby comes, these rituals, these things. It starts well before the baby even arrives. For example, a woman finds out that she is pregnant, and what's the first thing that she does? She tells her husband, Right? And then her husband faints, and then she slaps him around, he comes back, right? So that's, that's kind of what happens, that's the ritual. And so, and then they, and then they just have this like sweet moment together. They're, yay, we're pregnant, it's awesome, it's incredible. And, and then they keep it a secret for a while, and, and they have just like a couple of inside jokes that they share with one another, and, and, and then they, and, and they just kind of like hold on to it for a little while because it's their thing, it's their special, special thing, their secret. And, and then they tell a few close friends and family members, and then those close friends and family members blab it to other people, and then there's strife, and that's just part of the process. And, and then, and then uh, they do this really creative thing where, where they, go, they go on to the Internet to announce to the world that they are expecting 
by way of some sort of a clever Facebook post that somehow sometimes is like just changing their profile to a sonogram or whatever like that. And so they do these things and they let people know that they are expecting. This is the way it's done. So if you're going to be having a baby sometime in the near future, just know that this is the process you're going to go through as well. Then we have all the pregnancy rituals, right? Like, like when you got to go out at 1 a.m. and buy peanut butter and pickles and bring them home. And, and the guy has to change soap because apparently the smell of your soap makes your wife want to vomit. So you got to change soap. This is the way it is. The baby starts kicking, and uh, you marvel at that for a while. You're amazed at, at just how, how beautiful and amazing and incredible this is. And then, and then people start trying to touch your stomach. Um, even perfect strangers in line at Walmart will just, just decide that they have free reign to touch all over your stomach. And, and, and it's weird, but hey, it's ritual. Then we have the hospital ritual. And listen, I'll spare you the details, but there's a lot of crying and there's a lot of screaming and there's a lot of sweating. And also the wife is there and it's amazing. It's incredible. The whole thing is, is amazing. And the child comes out and, and then you, you like, you're holding the child and you look in the face of the child and suddenly you're like absolutely smitten. You love something more than you ever thought was possible. And, and then the grandparents are there, and they revel in the joy with you, and, and they usually shed a few tears, either that or they might get kicked out for being like unruly um, and overbearing or a combination of the two. We, I don't know. And, and then we get out of the hospital, and, and, and then there's some more ritual, and there's some more, more things that happen. The mother usually takes some time off from work, and, and then she gets uh, a solid 15 minutes of sleep a night. And then uh, if they go to church, uh, like, like many of us do, a lot of times they'll bring the child to church to get baptized or sprinkled or dedicated before the Lord, depending on where you go and what you do. And so these are all of the rituals. And this is where we find Mary and Joseph in the midst of this. They've gone through all the pregnancy rituals. They've gone through all the different rites of passage, and they find themselves in this place where Jesus has been born. Okay, And, and, and in this culture, post-birth, there are three rituals that you go through. And I explained these uh, at some point last year, I believe, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and explain them again to make sure we're all on the same page. The first one starts at eight days. The ritual is to get together in a house, and the child is circumcised. Then you give a name to the child. The second ritual is about 31 days. You, you take the child to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, just like what many of you do here at Legacy City. You bring your child, and we do a dedication service. And, and then there's a third ritual. It's about 40 days, and this is called the rite of purification. It's actually not for the child. This one's particularly for the mother. And so Mary comes to the temple, and she is supposed to sacrifice a lamb unto the Lord. And, and, and the scriptures of the law actually say if you don't have a lamb, then you can actually sacrifice two turtle doves and so she brought two turtle doves, Scripture tells us. She brings the two turtle doves instead. And the meaning of that is that she was basically of little means. She didn't have much money. She couldn't afford a lamb. And so basically she's from a poor family. Now, I actually don't think that this observation is inconsequential because one of the greatest gifts we get in Christ is significance. So follow me here for a second. I think a lot of us here find ourselves in a place where we are ashamed or embarrassed because we don't feel like we're living up to the person that we could or should be. We feel like our life is insignificant and that and that and then we come to this moment in scripture. We come to this instance when the woman with the least to give 
gives us the greatest gift of all. When the woman with little to no means gives the greatest meaning to the world, by way of the Holy Spirit, mind you, but she is still participating pretty heavily in the moment. Now, I don't want to stop short on this point right here because I think this is a powerful point. And I want you to just to, to, to take this away. This is kind of separate from the message, but, but I think it's also important. The greatest gift in our lives are not the biggest gifts. The greatest gifts that we receive are not the biggest gifts. We, we do, anybody ever, have, has anybody done a white elephant exchange this year? Uh, one of those like gift exchange where you buy something, all right? And, and what's one of the things that most people go for? The biggest wrapped gift. Like, oh, that one's huge. That must be something neat. Maybe you're, maybe you're odd. Maybe you go for the smallest thinking it's a gift card and you're just going to like recoup your money. I don't know. But all of us can attest to this idea that, that the biggest gift may not be the greatest gift. I mean, if, if you think about what is the biggest gift that many of us have received in our life, uh, many of us maybe got a car at some point in our life. Maybe our parents gifted us a car for a birthday parent present, or, or maybe they gifted us a car as, as, you know, when we turned 16 or 17 or 18 or got our license or moved out of the house or, you know, whatever. A lot, many of us have received a car. It might not have been a good car, but it was a big car, and so you got a big gift in the form of a car. Now, while that was awesome, probably needed, I guarantee the engagement ring was a better gift. Right? The special heirloom from your grandparents was a better gift. Because the, the biggest gift is not always the greatest gift. They are the ones that bring significance. The greatest gifts are the ones that bring significance into our lives and into the lives of those around us. So that's just a little extra for you. All right. Uh, verse 25. Let's, let's push on into the story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And this is who we're going to focus on for the last half of this message, Simeon. Uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of law, we talked about one of the customs, one of the rituals. He took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Okay, so just a normal day in Jerusalem. Nothing is, is really different about this day. There's nothing grandiose about this day. It's just a normal day, same routines. And this family comes in, and the priests see them, and they're like, okay, no big deal. Just a family coming to do their thing. And then Simeon walks in, and, and he sees the child, and he kind of does a beeline over, and he begins to go nuts. Like, he is going crazy. Simeon he, he, it's suggested that he probably lived like maybe even in or around the temple. He was close by. He was in the temple every day. The temple was basically like his Starbucks. He hung out there all the time, and, and he was just kind of around. Uh, and, and, and he had been praying for years for this day to come. And scholars, they estimate that Simeon was probably about 113 years old at this point in time. He is not a spring chicken. He's an old guy, and he is, he is just waiting and waiting and waiting for the Lord's Christ to be revealed to him so that he can die a happy man, so that he can die having fulfilled the prophecy that had been told to him. And so he had been praying for years for this day. The question for me right here is how does this guy 
who has spent so many years in routine and in ritual, praying for the same thing and hoping for the same thing over and over and over again. How does this guy, with so many years of doing this, come to this point where he can still have an expectancy to point out what no one else saw? To point out in this moment that the Lord's Christ was here. The priest walked by, didn't think anything of it. The elders walked by, didn't think anything of it. But Simeon saw, and for some reason, he sees the gift that God had given. I think the answer is in verse 27. It says he came in the Spirit. He came into the temple. He showed up and arrived at the temple in the Spirit. We have a saying here at Legacy City Church. We say to, uh, to, to our team members, we say to show up expectant and serve with excellence. Because we want to enter into these doors, our temple doors, our, our church doors. We want to enter in with expectancy every single time. We want to walk in here with the Spirit, not come in here and hope that he shows up. And so that's what Simeon did. He, he was moved by the Spirit. It, I, I wonder if we could just have that phrase for us in this Christmas season, moved by the Spirit. How incredible. Moved by the Spirit. And so he went into the temple courts. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to understand, there is a Spirit of Christmas, and then there's the Spirit of Christmas. One has to do with our attitude. The other has to do with our expectancy or our anticipation of what the Holy Spirit can do. And Simeon comes into this season, and he has this unbelievable level of anticipation, of expectancy that is different and set apart from all the others. He has this unique hope that God is going to do exactly what he said. That the Lord's Christ, he will see the Savior of the world. He will see the Savior of the nations. I was thinking about this as I was kind of preparing. There are all kinds of hope in the world. There's, there's progressive hope. Hope that's like moving forward in the right direction. Then there's blind hope, which is like you just have nowhere to turn and you're, you're reaching out for anything and you're hoping and everything. And, and then there's spirit-led hope. Something that God has birthed in you and given to you in your heart that you are hoping towards that. And what I want to say today is I'm not just talking about like a whimsical fantasy. I'm not talking about positive thoughts and, and forward thinking. We have plenty of ill-defined hope in our culture, and we talk about hope all the time. And so it's not the magic, and it's not like the single word, right? So, so there's two, two other types of hope that I want to talk about. There is hope deferred, and then there's hope displaced. They both experience a lot of the same things. Like they both experience, you know, um, you know, patience along the way. But hope displaced is hope in the wrong thing. While hope deferred is for Christ. One has a bad ending, one has a good ending. So we've been given this hope that is not just positive thinking. It's more than just wishful thinking. This is a hope. When I talk about hope, I'm talking about a holy confidence in our God. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? This is a holy confidence in the word of God and in the spirit of God that actually speaks to us within our souls. I think for many of us, though, our, our experiences have somewhat like clouded our expectation. 
Our experiences have, have stifled our hope and our expectancy. We've had hurt. We've had experiences in the past that has halted us from coming to a place of hope. And, and when you have, I know this, when you have known and called sorrow your friend for so long, I get it, it's really hard to grasp joy. When you've known brokenness for so long, it's hard to take a hold of freedom when presented with it. And when you've lived in darkness for so long, the light can honestly be a scary thing. But listen to me, when light shows itself, you have to embrace it. We've got to find the capacity to believe in God's yes when the world is saying no. So, so here's what, this is what Simeon does, 113 years old, praying day after day, showing up at the temple day after day and waiting. And so, so Simeon, he begins to praise God in this moment because he's presented with the hope of the world and he starts to praise God and prophesy over the Christ child. And here's what he says, verse 29, uh, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Uh, I absolutely love this tightly packaged little prophecy because a lot of people kind of skip over it or, or they stop before they get to it, but it has some gems in it. So I just want to jot, I want you to jot these things down, a couple of things. It wouldn't be a sermon without a couple of points. And so let me give you a couple of points here that you can take away um, instead of just like talking, which is pretty much what I'm doing. Um, and so the, I want to pull, I pulled these three things I feel like out of this particular prophecy scripture passage right here. The first is this, hope always brings peace. I believe hope, these are hope, all of these are hope always. Hope always does something. Hope always brings peace. I think this is a biological fact, thanks to Jesus. Anytime hope walks into the room, peace walks in right behind it. Hope, true hope, hope, not, not, not this whimsical hope, not this hope in, in, in something like just, just worldly and earthly. I'm talking about real, true, honest Hope in the God of the universe, hope in Jesus Christ, brings peace. Hope always brings peace. Number two, hope fulfilled always comes in a different form than hope prayed for. This one's tough for us because we, we pray for something and, and, and we want God to respond in the exact way that we gave it to him in the first place. We want God to respond exactly in, in the way that we prayed and lifted it up. But, but hope fulfilled always comes in a different form than hope prayed for. Simeon, he takes the child and he pronounces that salvation has entered the world. He's holding the Christ child and he, he says, salvation is here. Imagine this moment. This guy who has, who has been praying for so long for this moment. He, he's, he's able to hold in his hands his prayer, his prayer, his hope, his expectations, everything is right here in his hand. His salvation, the salvation of the world. And I wonder, like, tell me one person who could have predicted this, that it would play out in this way. That, that, that salvation that had been predicted and pronounced coming in the near future, that salvation would come in the form of a baby. It made no sense at the time, but he knew. 
Isaiah 43, 19 says, see, many of you know this, see, I am doing a new thing. I love that part of the verse, but then what does it say after that? Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? See, I am doing a new thing. And it springs forth. Do you you not see it? Hey, believer, it's in your hands. Do you not see what I'm doing? Stop looking uh, for that thing that, that, that only you have conceived in your mind when I am conceiving a new thing, is what Isaiah is saying. Church, where is God providing hope or offering hope or salvation in a form that is different than what you want or expect or that you're blind to this morning? I want you just to think about that. That's some food for thought today as, as, as we finish this up in a few moments and as we go out of here and head, head back to our holidays and our traditions and all the things that we're doing. How is God providing hope that's different than what you expected or what you prayed for? Number three, uh, hope always starts in the infancy stage. This is probably a no-brainer, but, but listen, we don't go from A to Z in like 35 minutes. It starts small, it's conceived, and then it begins to grow, and it eventually grows into a very fruitful place. You know, there's a unique tension in Scripture right here. And I want to just pull that out for just a second. It's this tension of hope realized versus hope to come. And and as we look at this, if we're talking about Mary today, it would be a lot easier to talk about this because there was a hope given. Uh, a hope that a child would be born. She had this hope, and then she had this child, and then the hope was realized, okay? So she kind of went along this progression, very easy, very straightforward. But then there's Simeon, and in this instant, his hope is realized. But it's not completely fulfilled, right? If, if you understand uh, about Simeon and, and, the, and what he was told, he was told that, that he would, he would, it, it would not pass until he met the Savior of the nations, all right, now think about this for a second. He's holding this child in his hands, and there's no way that we can quantify or measure that a nation has been utterly changed or that the world has actually been altered while he is holding him in his arms. And so there's this strange tension, and I think all of us live in this tension. The idea that God has done something, he has given you a hope that you grasp onto or, or you grasp salvation in your soul. But then at the same time, I'm wanting more and I'm seeking God for more. And I believe that there's more in store for the future and that he has great plans for my life. And we are left in this tension between hope revealed and, and hope that is still yet to come. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that phrase, a living hope. I, it's, I, think, I, I think the reason why I love it so much is because a living hope moves. It goes up, and then it goes down, and it goes over there, and then it, it breathes, and it's all over the place. And there's, but, but, but here's the thing about the living hope. There's no end to it. That's the secret of this tension right here. To live in the tension of these two, hope revealed and hope that is still yet to come, is to live in the idea that hope has no end. Are you with me, church? Hope can be realized. Hope can be pursued. Hope can be fulfilled. But hope does not cut off. It does not end. When you get a blessing from God, it doesn't mean that that blessing is going to be over. No, it usually means a blessing from from God is a taste tester of what is actually to come. Let me give you this example. My wife, uh, Jen, she's an amazing baker. Um, She's actually amazing at so many things, but I'll stick with baking for just this illustration. She makes a lot of things. 
And my favorite of these are French macarons. Not macaroons. It's a different pastry or cookie or thing. I don't even know what it is, so I'll stop talking. French macarons. She makes these things, and they're so good. Listen, this isn't a product placement or an ad or anything, but dang, they're good. All right. Uh, I love when she makes a new batch. She tries out all these new flavors, and, and she does these different things. And so I love when she does because I get to be the taste tester. And I get to, to just try a little bit, and I love it pretty much every time. Not just because these, these macarons are taking me to Flavortown, but because it's, it's, it's because I know that what I'm tasting right now, what I'm only tasting a little bit of, I'm going to get to eat like six in a little while. Right? I know that I'm getting a little small morsel, but I know that there's so much more to come when she finishes the batch. It's the same thing with the blessings of God. We get a little taste of blessing, but don't stop short on what God has for you. Often he's letting you know what's coming, and he has revealed hope so that we can have in store for us a hope that is to come, a hope of glory in front of us. And so we constantly live in this wonderful tension. Hey, listen, tension is not always bad. I believe sometimes it's awesome to live in the tension that God has given to us because there is no end to his hope, to his salvation, that he is allowed to rest and be laid on our lives. And so let's read the last verses, and, and the band will come back up, and we're going to sing a little bit more this morning. Uh, verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will be pierced through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right. So Simeon obviously had given the good part of the prophecy at the beginning, and then he just kind of slides this little line in at the end. They were saying, this is amazing. Jesus is going to bring salvation to the world. He's going to bring people together in unity. This kid is going to be awesome. Oh, by the way, he's going to pierce your soul. This is kind of just, he just slides that in. Can you imagine as a parent, because, you know, his parents were there. Can you imagine as a parent hearing that about your kid? Like, I wouldn't choose this prophecy for my child based on this last part. He's going to cause the fall and rise of many. But here's the thing. I've always read this and thought, you are either one or, or the other. You either rise or a completely different group will fall. It's kind of the way my mind sort of just separates things. But I found that that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it could be a both-and situation where God actually allows you to fall. He breaks you down so that he can build you back up. Re remember Peter's uh, response to the first time he met Jesus? Jesus performs a miracle, and what does Peter do? He falls. He, he, he falls, literally falls to his knees, basically says, I'm a sinner, and I need to leave your presence. It's a falling before God. Some fall because they don't want to face their shortcomings. They don't want to face up into the areas of their lives where they need to be changed. Others fall because they know they need a Savior. Here's the point. All of us, when confronted with the presence of hope and the presence of Jesus Christ, our challenge is to rebuild hope within us. Simeon is an incredible example of hope blossoming into fruit. So as we wrap up, I just want to share one more bit of wisdom from uh, the book of Proverbs. It ties into what, it's really a collection of Proverbs, it ties into what we've been talking about. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred, I didn't make that word up, that's from, that's from the Bible. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There's this like sense of uh, waiting 
sometimes, waiting before the Lord in terms of hope, waiting or seeking or pursuing God, coming after him. And, and it is hard. Hope is almost a, a really a spiritual discipline, isn't it? Like we have to wait, and that's so countercultural for us. We're used to self-gratification. We're used to uh, getting what we want, like right now, like get it now. I'm, I want this thing and I'm ordering it and it needs to be shipped now and arrive right now. Then we're challenged before God to actually hope. That hope is deferred. But if we are willing to hang on, church, there can be this explosion of life. The tree of life can begin to sprout up in ourselves. Would you bow and pray with me? If God's spoken to you this morning and, and you feel like you want to pray with somebody, if you want to talk further about some of the ideas, if you want to dive more into what this hope looks like, I would, I would encourage you after I'm finished in just a moment and, and during these next songs, uh, there's a care room right outside these doors. You just head out of the theater and take a right and there's some people in there that would love to pray with you and love to talk with you. I'll be down and around somewhere. I would love to do that as well. But, but for now, let me just pray over us. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to share in your Christmas story. We thank you that you want us to be a part of this, that you did this for us. Father, I pray right now that in a new way, you would conceive hope within our hearts. Lord, I pray for those in here who have never known hope. I pray for those in here who have known hope and, and for whatever reason have, have left it behind. I pray for those who are struggling to have hope this morning. I pray for those who have found hope, but for some reason are still left wanting more. God, I pray today that you would inspire, that you would inject us, that you would allow in us a new hope to be conceived today. We thank you for this story that leads us exactly to that place, the gift of God that was given to us. You came into the world on our level. You looked us in the eyes. You crouched down. You saw what we needed, and then you gave us hope. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I pray that we would keep our minds focused on that this holiday season. We pray these things in Jesus' name.